We are continuing our series titled The Servant King, and our scripture reading is Mark 13, 1 through 37. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will the sign when all these things are, all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, Here am I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There are but the beginning, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for all my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved." But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. For the, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. 
It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Thank you for that. Thank you for that reading. Hello, everybody. I am Adam Kilgis. I am the guest preacher for today. I do not normally attend here, so if you're surprised to see my face, that's okay. Um, Nate was on vacation this past week, so instead of him coming back and needing to turn around a fast sermon time, be stressed with that, he's invited me in. Um, I am, have last year started a pastoral fellowship with High Point Church. Um, I'm currently working on getting my Master's of Divinity degree from Trinity, and I'm going to be heading into the pastorate. Um, so this is a, uh, a fun opportunity for learning, training, and experience for me, and hopefully it also blesses you. Um, first, I just want to say thank you for being a church that allows for this sort of thing, um, that your pastor feels comfortable for me to come in. Um, I want to encourage you guys to participate with, with my ministry. Um, after the sermon, come up, give me feedback, um, encourage me. If something he says changes just a little bit how I preach the next sermons for the next 30 years of my life, you guys have participated in my ministry. So I want you guys to participate. So feel free to come up and give me your honest input afterwards. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be doing Mark 13. As I've been preparing for ministry, um, a pastor and mentor of mine was like, when you do guest preaching, churches you don't know, don't do prophetic literature, don't do anything about the end times, just don't, like, just avoid that. Like, it's not something you want to do as a guest preacher. So I am really happy that I'm entrusted with this one. We're throwing that advice out the window, and we'll, we'll see what we got today. Yeah, so as, as I've been thinking about, like, the, the purpose of this passage, what I want us to kind of get into the headspace is, uh, a question that you probably aren't asked often. What would it take for you to lose your faith? What would it take for you to lose your faith? What, what things in life would need to happen for you to lose your faith? What sort of things might you be putting your trust in that if they fell, you question God's power, his, his love, his grace? What in your life not even just like loses your faith, but just takes your focus off of him or your, your fervor, your vigor, your, your vigilance on your faith, on Christ, on mission. What does it take for, for that to be steered away? Might just be distractions. Might be life is feeling very overwhelming. I, I personally relate a lot to that feeling overwhelmed part. I'm trying to be a full-time student, trying to do occasions like this, thinking about the future, applying to jobs, church shopping, like where, whose souls I'm going to be in charge of is stressful. Like I am, I am feeling overwhelmed with life. And, and naturally, when we get all these things that hinder our faith, might make us question doubt um, who God is, what he's doing in our lives, we... We get led astray. We don't um, stay focused on him, stay focused on truth, and we don't endure well to the end. I often deal with these problems by either just trying to like work harder 
Like, I'll just buckle down. I'll take care of it. Or ignore it. Flee from it. Like, what, what sort of things can I focus on instead so I'm not overwhelmed by all the other things? Just, like, take one step at a time. So, yeah, as, as we're thinking about this passage, what this is for, um, that's what I want us to be thinking about. Like, what, what does it take for us to lose our faith? And what does this passage have to say about all those possible things? Um, first, we need to understand the setting. Like, why, why is this kind of the importance? Why, why is this the message of this passage? Um, the last couple weeks, you guys worked through Mark 12. Um, that was Jesus' kind of, like, final public ministry as he goes to the temple, teaches some different things. Um, you guys talked um, about how... Uh, he creates a politics of paradox um, that he, Jesus is encouraging a robust bodily hope and a double love. And then last week you guys saw that Jesus is the better king than David. And he's bringing about a better kingdom. That was his last like, public ministry. He was speaking to the crowds, the people around him. Mark 13, at the very beginning we see the setting. He goes to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. This is his last private discourse to the ones close to him, to his disciples. And as we'll see, little spoiler alert, Mark 14 is going to be his, the Passover, his betrayal, and kind of the, the beginning of the end as he goes into um, the crucifixion. So this is, this is his last moment to say, disciples, like, what do I need to teach my disciples before I'm gone? I'm going to go. They're going to be on their own in a certain sense. Um, not fully. We know that the Holy Spirit is going to be with them. But how, how is Jesus going to encourage them? To not, to not go astray. So that's what he does. Um, throughout this passage, he's really encouraging us that, that hope endures well to the end. Um, as we're going to see as we kind of work through this passage step by step, um, he says, stay true to Jesus until the very end. Stay true to Jesus that came. We don't need to look for others. Endure expected sufferings. Um, I'm, as we read it, there was a lot of that, and we'll unpack that. And have hope in this glorious and imminent return and victory that Jesus is going to bring. So, let's walk through this passage and figure out why, how this helps us. What is this for? What is this trying to do? So, it starts off, I'm going to read it again, Mark 13, 1 through 6. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the signs when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Jesus' first lesson, his first thing that he's going to try to teach the disciples is stay the course. Stay the course on the Jesus that came. We don't need to be looking for another Messiah. We don't need to be looking for another prophet, another Savior to come save us. Jesus did come. We can stay the course on him. But there's also this interesting setting that the disciples are like, look at this temple. Look at this magnificent temple um, that shows and proclaims God's glory, his majesty, God's, God's presence on earth. 
This is, this is God's kingdom, uh, the disciples are saying. And, and Jesus is like, that's going to fall. Like there's going to come a day when there's not one stone left on another. The, this discourse kind of starts with the, the disciples pointing to and hoping in this kingdom that Jesus is going to inaugurate. And they see the temple as a, as a symbol of that. And as I think about this, what are, what are the temples in our life? What are, the, what are the things in our life that seem to proclaim to us how wonderful God is? How great God is? Is it some amazing ministry like Billy Graham or just that like Christian America or even this church, Redeemer, Redeemer City? Like there's all these things that we see God's presence and power in. And I think we do got a kind of question like what would happen to us, what would happen to our faith if those things fell? Does that, does that disprove God's kingdom's presence, God's kingdom reality in our lives? Here, Jesus is saying no. Jesus is saying this is, that is not what we put our hope in. It's not these worldly glories that are just vain things. He's saying stay true to me is his, this first part of this lesson. Don't have these other, other glories, other wonderful things. We can have them. We can be encouraged by them. I'm not saying they're bad things. I'm not saying disband this church. That is not what I'm saying. Like, it's just not that we shouldn't put our trust in it. And we should make sure that our heart isn't, our faith isn't reliant on it. We want to be reliant on him. So let this be an encouragement, not just a, oh no, like what am I, like this is not supposed to be a guilt trip um, sort of thing. But yeah, we just need a question like what, what would it take for our faith to fall? And is our faith being rested on other things? And as this passage continues, after Jesus is like, stay the course on me, don't trust these other worldly glories, he then goes on to not answer the disciples' questions. They were like, when will these things be? What will be the signs of these things? That's what's in the, the disciples' minds is when will these things be? And Jesus is kind of like, I got some other lessons for you first. Mark 13, um, 7 through 8. He goes on and says, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. So not only is Jesus like, the temple's going to fall. This, this spot where you see the kingdom of God, it's, it's not the proof of the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes on and it's like, there's also going to just be these global calamities. There's going to be all these global calamities. Nations are going to war against nations. There's going to be famines, earthquakes, kingdom will be against kingdom. This is not disproof of God's power. This is not disproof of God's love, his reality, his kingdom's presence. But these things will come. So there's these, these global, global setting things that we should not be worried about. And he continues, Mark 13, 9 through 11. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And then when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit." Not only are there going to be nations against nations, 
But Christians, we, the, his disciples, are tossed into this. This is not just a um, nations against nations. It's now personal. We, we are going to be tested and tried by the rest of culture. And Jesus says, this is, this is in a certain sense for a good thing. I have a purpose in this. You're being tested and tried by culture is so that um, the gospel can go up. My name can be proclaimed. You can bear witness to them. Um, they, they might put you before trials, but it, there is for a purpose. It's so that your perseverance, your, your faith, your witness, your testimony is a witness and testimony to God's faithfulness, God's love. That is, that is what we are entering into when we get tried, tempted, tested by culture. And then there is this, this passage in verse 11. And when they bring you to trial, do not be anxious beforehand. This is, man, this is, this is a lesson I need right now. Like I was saying, I'm feeling overwhelmed by my life. This is, I'm, I'm feeling stressed coming up to you guys this morning. Like, I, I need these lessons that when we face all these things that seem overwhelming, seem like I'm not worthy of doing it, I'm not capable enough, I'm not good enough, I'm, I, why am I entrusted with such a mission? We can know in the setting of this, don't be anxious. You have the Holy Spirit in your life. You have the presence of God with you. This is one that I've been repeating to myself. Don't be anxious. The Holy Spirit is with you. And that is, that is another lesson in these expected sufferings that we're facing. Do not be anxious. The Holy Spirit is with you. But Jesus goes on even more. Mark 13. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And, fa- and the father his children, child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. Again, this is not just global this is not just like culture wars of the world against Christians, but this is also personal. God's, God's life, God's effect changes people, and that causes divisions. It causes trials. Family tensions are really tough, aren't they? Family is the ones that are close to us, the ones that can have the most impact on us. It's both a place where we can experience the most love, experience the most healing, but at the same time, experience the most suffering experience the most hurt, the harm, the wounds that go the deepest. And Jesus here is saying, you can expect that a little bit. That, that will happen to some of you. We live in a broken world. The, the kingdom of God is not fully present. We aren't in the heavenly state that everything is glorious yet. We still live in this, this broken world where we are doing our best and God is working on us and transforming us. And during this point, this is not disproof of the reality of the kingdom of God, though. Jesus predicts this. So even when we see the natural disasters, the nations warring against nations, the, the culture rejecting Christianity, and even our own family, our own friends, those closest to us, rejecting us, that isn't reason to lose faith. That isn't what disproves or should shake us. We can stand firm and endure in that. This is what he's trying to... Uh, encourage the disciples for. He's giving them a lot of expectations on what to face in their future. And again, he goes on to one more expected suffering. Um, But when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. 
Then, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. Now this is a confusing verse, isn't it? There's a lot in there that, that might seem very unfamiliar to you. Um, a couple of things it says, like, for the sake of the elect, and um, that the, the elect, that is just, that is us. That is Believers, ones that are in God's people, God's, God's chosen people who are saved and who are going to be going to heaven. Um, it tells us to, to pray, to be on guard, to, to stay awake, to be wary of these things. And as, we, as I think about this, this is, this is where it's like it's really kind of you got to be on like careful ground around these things because this is, I understand why my uh, pastor's like, be careful when you preach uh, prophetic literature um, because there's this weird tension between unclarity while trying to teach us and give us information. A lot of um, biblical prophecy, um, throughout the Old Testament especially, I've seen this a lot in the, the Old Testament prophets book, um, they often talk about um, the day of the Lord or on that day, um, these things are going to happen. And biblical prophecy often is unclear while trying to give us information. And one particular uh, characteristic that biblical prophecy has is that it condenses a lot of time. It's really unclear about time often. So Old Testament prophets say, like, on that day, um, the, in the day of the Lord, the, the Israelites are going to be taken into exile. On that day, they're going to be restored from exile. That all happened kind of pre-Jesus. They'll say on that day, the servant Messiah is going to come and suffer for his people. That, that we see in Jesus' time, a couple hundred years after that. Or in that day, there's going to be an ultimate restoration where all of his elect are gathered in, and be completely restored into this new kingdom. That is, a, that is a future hope we are still yet hoping for. And in Old Testament prophecy and in biblical prophecy, they often just kind of like describe these all as in the day of the Lord, on that day, and they kind of like mix and match, and they aren't really clear about like when things are going to happen, which is kind of part of the reason why Jesus came, and they're like, this isn't what we expected. We, we expected this like final restoration of everything, and Jesus is like, no, like I am fulfilling these things. It said that a servant Messiah isn't going to come, a king to rule his people, to create a new heart in us, give us hearts of flesh rather than hearts of stone. So, for example, like as we look at this passage, it talks about, oh, yeah, so the, the picture is just an imagery to kind of like relate to this is, um, as we think about Old Testament prophets, they're kind of, or biblical prophecy, they're kind of painting us a picture of a mountain range. And there's things close, and there's things farther, and there's things farther, and there's all these things that they're describing. 
but they're still just painting a picture of it. So it's all just compressed onto one single canvas, and we're just presented with one single picture. So we kind of have to do this careful discerning and careful judging of what's happening, what's, what's being talked about, and why is it being talked about. And I'll get to the, the why a lot later, is there's an intentional purpose between, behind this, like, not being clear on the when. And that's what we see again in Mark 13. It talks about this abomination of desolation, right? Um, this is a reference back into Daniel 9, Daniel 9, 27. Um, on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. Um, another way to say it is like the, the abominable thing of destruction or the, um, the dirty thing of barrenness or something like that. The abomination of desolation. This, this can have a lot of references. And my answer to you is I'm unsure which, and they're kind of could be all. Um, so like Daniel references in, this, in the Old Testament, and shortly after that, um, King Antiochus erects an a a idol of Zeus in the temple. This abominable thing in the place where there should be holiness. Um, and then the Gospels talk about it here, and Luke 21 talks about the same passage, and he talks about armies surrounding Jerusalem during this time of abomination and desolation which could very well be Rome, um, which in like 70 AD sacks Jerusalem and the temple's destroyed. And at the same time, it, it could be something in the future too that comes about, that there's often these like multiple fulfillments and weird time, like did it happen? Yes. Will it happen again? Kind of, maybe, yes. Um, the point is not though when. The point is not that we have enough details to fully predict it all but that we have enough details to have hope that what's going to come is true. That when it does happen, it gives hopes for other prophecies that Jesus gave us. So when we read things like these, I, it's, it's important to look at some of the details, to try to figure out what these mean, but that's not the main point. The main point is to look at prophecies that have been fulfilled and say, look at how faithful Jesus was in fulfilling these things. Look at how faithful God was in fulfilling these things. So when he says other things about our restoration, our, our final fulfillment, we can trust those other prophecies. So as we think about all these sufferings, that the nations will rise against nations, the, our personal family will be against us, culture is going to reject us, and there's going to be these proofs against the kingdom of God, abominations where they should not be. There can be a lot of cynicism in the world today around all this. Like, who can I trust? What can I trust? And the, the point is not who can I trust, what can I trust, but rather, or like, or when is this all going to happen, or what is it all going to be? But it's rather to show us that we can trust Jesus. These things aren't supposed to make us cynical. We're supposed to expect these things to come so we can trust the Jesus that came that told us. This is for pastors in Iraq who needed to, like, flee the country to save their lives or who are willing to persist in the country amidst such suffering that they, they, they endure well knowing that Jesus t- said, expect it, don't be anxious, I am with you. It's for them. But this is also for us. This is also for us. This is, this is for us and our hearts that are like, I am, I am unwilling to go to Iraq in the first place to possibly face that sort of setting. This is for me, who feels overwhelmed with my life, how can I accomplish, how can I take care of 
all these things? How can I endure well to the end? This is for us who have brokenness in our lives, strained relationships, things that we seem to say, how could God let this be? How, what is God doing here? Jesus is saying, look at all these things, all these sufferings that can happen. These aren't disproofs of me. I am there in it. And I'm really glad that Mark 13 doesn't end at the point of these, these expected sufferings that we're, we're entering into. Um, these expected sufferings that seem to prove Jesus isn't real, God's kingdom isn't real. This is not where these promises end. It says expect them, endure them, but that's not the end. Jesus lays out these expectations. I'm going to skip that. Great. And he goes on to say, um, talks about, so then what do we have to hope in? What do we have to hope in in all these things? Mark 13, 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the earth. Guys, Christ is returning with power and glory. Christ is returning with power and glory. Do you guys, do you guys understand that? Do you guys really let that sink in deep? Is that, is that something that is important in your life? Because Jesus is saying all these things that life gives us that are hard to bear, all these calamities that we have, the answer is Christ is returning. Christ is coming in glory. He's coming on the clouds and he gathers all of his elect from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. The Son of Man is coming on the clouds with great power and glory. This, this is supposed to bring in us an excitement. If, if you don't feel this excited, joyful hope of there will be a day we don't live in this broken world and we get to live in a glorious heaven, fully in communion with our God, with Jesus. I don't know, I don't know if I could face the sufferings that this world has to offer if I don't have an equal proportion of the hope and excitement for the Jesus that's coming. This is, this is what produces in us this... Um, this ability to endure, right? We, a big part of our suffering and our wanting to go astray is based on our selfishness, just our, our focus on ourselves. Um, we have, I have so many needs, I have so many desires that just need to be satisfied, need to be gratified, need to be fulfilled, right? And if I don't have a hope in a heaven that eventually will satisfy all my needs, that will satisfy all my desires, my selfishness will, ruin, will, will control me will direct my past. I will, I'll be under its ability to just needing to gratify all the needs that I have, all the desires that I have, if I don't have the hope that my needs and desires will be gratified someday. And when we see all these calamities, we also aren't going to be like bandwagon fans. We're not going to be like, oh, look at this like, nation rising up or this uh, movement against God. It seems to be doing really good. It seems like that's going to be winning in the end. I'm going to go to that. No, we, we know that in the end, Jesus comes. That's the one that we have our hope in. We know the ultimate victory is ours. 
Hope is what produces this lifelong resilience to truly be self-sacrificial in our lives. Jesus' return is going to be glorious, more glorious than all these glories that we could see on earth, right? The, the disciples were looking at the temple and saying, look at how great these stones are, these, this temple is. Jesus is like, no, what do you have to hope in? What do you have to put your trust in? What do you have to be excited for is my return. Expect these sufferings. Be excited for my return. And this kind of brings us back to the, the original question of, but when? Right? That the disciples asked from the very beginning. But when will these things be? Mark 13, 28. From the fig tree, learn its lessons. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We know heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus' words remain. That is what we can have our trust in. And when we see all these signs, all these sufferings, all these calamities, we know that Jesus is near, that these aren't proofs against his reality, but these are proofs that he is coming, that he is near. And it goes on, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, and when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you all, I say, stay awake. I look at this and the point of telling us all these things that are going to happen is not so that we can predict them. We don't know when. And, and not only that, it says not, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun. Now this is like, wow, the sun doesn't even know when. Isn't Jesus God? Isn't he divine? Doesn't he know everything? And yes, Jesus is divine. Jesus is the divine God. But he also is came as a lowly human being. He's, he's also human. And the exact way that those two natures work together, that he is divine God and lowly servant human that can die, if I knew all the ways that those work together, I would write a book and make a lot of money. Um, so there's, there's a certain mystery to this. And the point of this passage, though, is not to teach us about something about Jesus. So I would not base my full um, theology of how Jesus is man and God on this passage. The point is to throw us into the deep end. We don't know when this will be. We, we are supposed to feel this inability of this is, we don't know when this is going to be. We can't predict it. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. The point is not the when and the what, but rather the who. We know that Jesus is coming back. And it says that he is near and this is what happens next. This is where we get in theological terms, imminent is often talked about. Like the, the imminent return of Christ just means that what happens next in God's fulfilled um, salvation history that he's working out in on this earth is that Jesus is going to come back. That is what our hope is in. And throughout this passage, throughout the entirety of Mark 13, it constantly was encouraging us, stay awake, be on your guard, um, these things were repeated about 
10 different times. Um, I think I counted throughout it. And I was like, stay awake, be on guard. She's telling me all these things. Stay true to Jesus. Expect all these different sufferings, all these different things to happen. And have hope in this Jesus to come and says, stay awake, be on guard. I'm like, what does that mean? What does that actually look like? What does it, what does it mean to, to stay awake, to actually have this hope? What are, we, what are we supposed to do with that? And in a certain sense, I think it is stay true to all this. Know this is coming. Endure well through this. But also just know now is the time to accept the gospel. Now is the time to put your faith in Jesus. We don't know when it's going to happen. This is supposed to give us an urgency. Now is the time to build each other up. Live according to the light. Do all that Jesus commands us. Now is the time to, to be ready for Jesus' coming back. There's, a, there's the like, t-shirts that I've seen that's like, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. Which is kind of like the like, satirical way to describe this. We're not just supposed to look busy, though. This is not just like a cover your butt in case Jesus catches you doing something wrong. Like this is not a um, avoid punishment or something like that. No, Jesus is coming back. This is victorious. This is something that's supposed to be excited in us. It's supposed to give us energy. We're not just supposed to like fake this. We're supposed to let this really sink in deep. We're supposed to let hope endure us to the end well. A hope in that Jesus is coming back that allows us to persevere through all the sufferings that this world can throw at us. I think about my own sufferings, my own stresses in life, and it's not as big as national wars. It's not as hard or personal as family giving me over to death. It's not as extreme as abominations in the place that marks God's kingdom. If Jesus says all these things that could steer away us from our faith, shouldn't. The things in my life are less than that. And I can know and expect those things and thus endure well. Now is the time to grow and mature our expectations of suffering on one hand, but also just grow and mature our expectation of hope, our excitement for Jesus' coming. That is what I want us to, to move into in the rest of our lives. That's what I want to grow in my own heart so I can face my sufferings. Let me close in prayer over you guys. Dear Lord, you've given us a lot to consider, a lot to think about in this passage, a lot that is confusing, a lot that is heavy and weighty, a lot that is burdensome. I pray that you give us your grace, you give us your Holy Spirit in our lives, that you work in us this ability to endure these sufferings well, that these sufferings aren't a disproof or a steering away of our faith from you, but allows us to be strengthened that we, we get stronger from going through these things so that we can hope in you, be excited as we work for you, not to be held back by the worries of this life, but living fully in hope that you're coming back in glorious victory. In your name we pray, amen.